Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Hey, Fruit Loops Pod Squad. We were unable to record this week due to some personal issues, so we are releasing another patron episode. This one is Wendy's telling of the Good Friday killings. The subjects of our patron bonus episodes are not always serial killers of color, and that is true about this episode. Also, we were still working on some sound issues when we recorded this episode, so the sound quality is not great, and for that, we apologize. We will have a new episode out for you next week before we take our winter break, and then we will be back in 2020. With all that said, let's get on with the show! This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. episode Wendy presents and who are we talking about today Wendy today we are talking about the Good Friday killings which were committed by I don't know two white dudes their names aren't important but we'll get into (laughs) it in a bit (laughs) I I actually don't know anything about this case so this is exciting The idea behind these episodes, we're going to do a series of Wendy Presents and Beth Presents, is Wendy's going to tell me a story about a crime that I don't know about, and then on another episode, I'll tell her about a crime that she doesn't know about. So take it away, Wendy. (laughs) You are so just... You are just on today. (laughs) As as the great Marion Williamson would say, Marianne Williamson, presidential runner. (laughs) I I love I love her. I can't get enough. But she's like, girlfriend, you so um (laughs) and that's you. (laughs) 
<laughs> so as so as Beth said, this is a bonus episode. This is exclusively exclusively for our Podbean patrons and our Patreons. And Fruit Loops podcast is a podcast about true crime committed by people of color as it relates and as it relates to people of color. And Wendy Presents is where I dial up my buddy Beth, aka the OG of true crime, and tell her a true crime tale. So Beth, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm so ready. Okay. I'm very, <laughs> so I'm very I get, excited for this. <laughs> oh my god. I, <laughs> I you should have zero expectations for like quality and um uh thoroughness. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> I just want somebody to tell me a story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So get ready. Buckle up. So I'm Wendy. She's Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that. Basically, our opinions. So please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode. If you're listening to this on Podbean or Patreon, you get free tips on this episode. Woohoo! So, um, yeah. You already asked me who we we're talking about today and I said a very half-assed answer because he caught me off guard. But today, <laughs> <laughs> today we are talking about the Good Friday killings and that is the case when two white guys who on Black Friday went on a shooting spree in predominantly Black neighborhoods, killing Black people. Isn't that interesting? On Black Friday, they killed Black people. And the spree came on the anniversary of the death of one of the killers, Dad. His father was killed by an African-American man, and they ended up killing three Black people, and two others were wounded. So they shot five people in total. Only three died and two survived. Wow. And the killers yeah crazy ask me any questions throughout i'm excited about okay. this conversation okay, okay. so <laughs> alvin lee watts and jacob carl england were the two perps and again they're two white dudes who on april 6 2012 committed several shootings that resulted in a handful of injured and a handful of people murdered and okay. it turns out that england is actually part Native American, which I thought was really fascinating about the story. So they only killed people on one night, and then they were arrested two days later. Okay. So now I'm going to get into the setting. So this all took place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa is, uh, or Oklahoma, is situated on the Arkansas River between the Osage Hills and the foothills of the Ozark Mountains in northeast Oklahoma, a region of the state known as Green Country considered the cultural and art center of Oklahoma. The mm. area where Tulsa, yeah, I've never been. Have you? Did not did not know they had one. I've been through Oklahoma, but not haven't been to that art center now. Okay. Well, the area where Tulsa now exists was considered Indian territory when it was first formally settled by the Lochapaca Indian tribe and the Creek Indian tribe in 1836. The tribe was reminded of the Trail of Tears survivors on the bend in the river and their previous Creek Council oak tree back in the Palisi, Alabama area. I was I was going to ask if it was part of the Trail of Tears. Yeah, it was. And I I guess maybe I should have put a Trail of Tears thing in, in here. But anyway, off the, off the rip, President Andrew Jackson, you know, the one they say that 45 reminds everybody of. He was like... <laughs> get all these Native Americans out of here so we can get some get some uh, white people some land over there and uh, made thousands of Native Americans leave their homes and walk on foot to go west 
and many people died, women, children, men, and it's a stain on the American history quilt. Uh, Anyway, so they decided that they were going to name this new settlement Alasi, meaning old town in the Creek language, which later became Tulsa. Because white people just decide that they don't like something and are going to rename it. Anyway, many may not also know this about Tulsa, but it has an area referred to as Greenwood, which was considered the first Black Wall Street after Reconstruction in the United States. Hmm. And this is where there were many Black businesses. There were wealthy-ass Black people. Like, the whole town was full of Oprahs. And one person <laughs> even had his own plane. Wow. It's pretty awesome when you when you hear the, like a qualified person tell the story. I about. think we talked but, about this in one of the episodes. This is all coming I think back we have to. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there were actually a lot of communities like this across the United States after Reconstruction, where Black people like, we're just going to build our own communities. We're going to have our own doctors. We're going to have our own lawyers. We're going to have our own businesses. And we're just going to support each other and keep all of our money in our community. And the communities grew and prospered. But boy, oh boy, guess who didn't like it? The Klan. White people. <laughs> yeah, the Ku Klux Klan was not very happy about this. So in 1921, they bombed the shit out of it and killed hmm. hundreds of people. Yeah. Uh, it's very sad, very sad. Yeah. And I've, I've heard actually accounts of people who were there and talking about how just terrified they were. Yeah. Anyway, it's so it's awful. So Tulsa had race issues really since the beginning. Really? Like all of America. Are, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like all of America, but they never really dealt with. And according to the 2010 census, Tulsa has approximately 392 residents. 62% of them are white, 16% are black, and 14% are Latinx, and about 5% are Native American. And I have not spent much time in Oklahoma, as I have said, but uh, it has, in my opinion, a poor history in relation to Native Americans. I also know that Oklahoma has tornadoes and uh, racism and (laughs) tornadoes and racism. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a play called Oklahoma that fucking sucks. Oklahoma, where the wind goes whipping down the plane. Of course, if we have any (laughs) present listeners and fans, you are definitely excluded from the the fuckery in Oklahoma. Uh, And I'm sure it's a lovely place, but history has its eyes on you. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. 
a production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. You can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Um, Anyway, so uh, now we're going to get into, and now I'm going to tell Beth about the killer's early life. Are you ready, Beth? I'm ready. Okay, so Jake England. Um, he's the guy who's part Native American, but his, uh, he was raised by a single father. His dad is Carl England. His mother was out of the picture and he had at least one sister. I think he might've had two. Reports say that England, the England family, again, was part Cherokee. Jake was a normal, happy-go-lucky kid who liked playing and goofing around and riding horses. Papa England was a strict disciplinarian. Uh, He had a tree-trimming business and he was a wild racist. And, Mm. uh uh-huh. On April 7th, 2010, Papa England got into a dispute with a tenant in his daughter's apartment complex who happened to be a black man. This man was named Pernell Jefferson. And what actually happened was Jefferson tried to break into daughter England's house. Then Papa England and the daughter's boyfriend went looking for this black man who tried to break into their house. And they had a confrontation that led to Jefferson, the black guy, defending himself. And he shot Papa England. And if I know anything about dangerous racists, they are not so great with reason or self-control. And right. I wonder if they had maybe just called the police to deal with the break-in. Yeah. Maybe nobody would have died. So they, they went looking for him. Yes, they went okay. looking for him, which okay. I don't think is uncommon of white racists to, to do. Like, they just take the law into their own hands. And uh, yeah, but I wanted to mention a side note because I was at a mediation this week with an old ass white judge and he was like, he he always tells these courtroom war stories to try to help us all reach a settlement. Like, well, I've seen this happen, I've seen that happen. And he was talking about this case where this big ass black guy got into a fight with a teeny tiny white guy on, on his own property. So the black guy was on his own lawn. And the, they got, the words were exchanged and the black guy punched the white guy and like broke his jaw and injured him. And it went to a civil trial and the jury awarded the white guy $800,000. Oh my God. And, uh. and the, the point of the judge's story was to like message to us that juries are unpredictable. But I, I was like, that, oh, that was the totally predictable. Yeah, pause the break. <laughs> well, I said, uh, sir, Your Honor, what was the race of the parties involved and the <laughs> attorneys and the jurors? And he was like, oh, that doesn't matter. This is, this, this is the justice system playing out as it should be. 
And I was like, so he reluctantly told me. And because of the justice system doesn't see race. Get the fuck out of here. But I had to, so I had to school him that the reason why an all white Maricopa County jury awarded what they did on that case was because it was a black man, menace, a menacing large black man perpetrating violence on a, a white guy. And, yeah. and when the, and the black guy's defense was, was self-defense and um, and it was black, on his his property. It was on his property, and black people aren't afforded, at least in, in as far as the justice system is concerned, we're not viewed as as humans, especially black men, not viewed as human beings worthy of the right to defend themselves. And that is why the jury awarded that. And he was like, "I never thought of that." I mean, he had a whole like write up of the case, and he was like. I wrote it all down here. It was just baffling to me. I had no idea that it could have been because of his race. And, and then he was like, he like shook my hand. He was like, thank you so much for letting me know that this, this is why this happened. This verdict was a, an anomaly to me. And I was like, wow. can you, can you please tell all of your friends that this is why this happened? Do you don't use this bullshit story again? Anyway. <laughs> so uh, back to the story so the black man shot papa england in the chest and papa england died and the black guy got convicted his name was black name cornell he got convicted of murder and is currently in prison so the guy served time so the family in theory england's family should have been like justice has been served but no no no, right. no. the england gentleman was thieving the entire time. So reports yeah. say the England family, again, is Park Cherokee. He was, Jake was a normal, happy-go-lucky kid. But once his dad died, he dropped out of high school and he took over his father's tree trimming business. And, but his life sort of fell apart. Right. As I mentioned, Papa England was a wild racist and Jake's <laughs> hatred presumably initially was taught by his father and his hatred just grew and grew and grew. And then right. to add insult to injury, his fiancee, um, Sharon Wilde, she was 24 at the time. She killed herself in front oh. of Jake. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. And they had a three month old son. Oh. So yeah. So that's, that's that very sucks. sad. Yeah. yeah. So Jake, Jake wasn't doing so good. And yeah. he has a famous Facebook post. Uh, Facebook, I think, took it down, but you can find it anywhere on the internet. But he posted a very racist rant. And his friends were like, bruh, are you okay? I'm <laughs> <laughs> not uh, racist, but they're uh, going a little too far here. <laughs> how, how is your spirit, brother Jake? Do you need... <laughs> Do you need to be on the prayer list? And so on the two-year anniversary of his father's death, that's when the rampage began. So England posted on his Facebook page the day before the shooting that he was enraged about the quote, and I get to say this because I'm black, fucking nigger, quote unquote, who shot and killed his father. And he added, it was hard not to go off. And again, his his baby mama killed killed herself. And he added, it was hard not to go off. Uh, he said between that and the loss of his fiance that he was gone in the head. And so that's why his friends were like, are you okay? What's going on? And so his friend Alvin Watts saw this. He's the accomplice uh, who was his Facebook friend. And he he went to England and moved in with him and wanted to like be there for him after his fiance right. suicide. And even though Jake bragged about hating Black people and the fact that he was armed, interestingly, his friends were surprised that he would do something like end up shooting five black people. I, however, am not one bit surprised and can yeah. tell you that any black person who had been in the midst of this young man could have seen this coming a mile away. <laughs> but uh, 
<laughs> and if he had a black friend, they would have been like, bruh, you all right? Like, what's going on? <laughs> so, the, so that night on Good Friday, the killers made a plan to seek out black people randomly and just kill him. So there was no real target, just black people. Just black people. And, and Jake, who's actually the younger of the two, was the ringleader. He was the most enraged. He was the most motivated. And he sort of started this whole thing. So, okay. so I uh, would like to bring everybody into Culture Corner at this moment. Black enslaved and American first peoples or Native Americans have been connected since the beginning of this nascent formation in 1619. And that's when the first Black people were stolen from Africa and brought to this land. And the relationship has been both positive and negative. So one thing I've learned from this 1619 project is that some Native American tribes participated in the enslavement of African refugees and Black American enslaved people. I had no idea. Specifically, did own slaves, and I didn't know that. Yeah, I think some native tribes owned slaves. Like they would get into wars with other tribes and take other tribe members and make them slaves. So I, I think that um, probably wasn't unusual or new to them. Maybe, yeah, right, right, maybe. I, and I don't want to. I can't speak for what they did historically because I am totally unqualified to do so. But yeah, I, and it, it's not. You know, there's so many tribes in this country, and I don't know which tribes did this, but mm-hmm. the, I, I do believe there were some tribes that did that. Mm. Yes, thank you. So, but then some tribes were a refuge for runaways, enslaved people, and welcomed runaway, enslaved people in their society and families. And you will find through ancestry, you know, dot com that some some Black Americans actually do have um, Native American DNA, and mm. that has a lot to do with it. Um, so anyway, the the duo drove through Black neighborhoods to look for victims to shoot. They terrorized the, the Black community for what was really 24 to 48 hours. And Black leaders spoke out immediately, calling the crimes racially motivated. But guess who didn't want to see or believe that this was a hate crime? I don't want to name, but it rhymes, <laughs> with, it rhymes with white people. <laughs> <laughs> Black neighborhoods. And and, uh, we know that Black neighborhoods, the creation of them has been entirely intentional by design due to redlining and infrastructure creation, freeways going through Black neighborhoods, separating the Blacks and the Whites or train tracks. Intentionally, they are quarantined. Yes, divided from the rest of society. So when people are like, I just saw this in a lot of articles, they looked for Black neighborhoods. They were easy to find because of deep societal infrastructure settings right so beth are you ready to get into the timeline 
I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. So Push flash. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dive in. Okay. <laughs> do I have my do I have my swimming cap on? Um at 1.03 a.m. on April 6, 2012, Tulsa police were called to a home in Tulsa where Danaire Fields, she was 49, was found in a yard with gunshot wounds. She was taken to St. John Medical Center where she was pronounced dead. Danaire uh-huh. Fields, 49 years old. And this was the only victim that I was able to find like a lot of information on, um, mm-hmm. including her obituary. But she was a petite black woman who lo- loved going on walks. She did struggle with addiction throughout her life. She stood for justice and she knew the streets very well. She was married to Kenneth Fields, who, by the way, has not forgiven the killers. She also liked to play bones with her neighbors. And do you know what bones is, Beth? Is it a dice game? Dominoes. Dominoes. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let me get into another culture corner for you. So Bones is a black and brown is a game black and brown people play to pass the time at parties, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. My my grandpa showed all of his granddaughters how to play. So I know how to play bones, but I am terrible at it. So is bones bones is a game that you play with dominoes? Yes. Because yes. I've played dominoes before, but there's different ways to play it. So is Bones one of the ways that you play it? That's how people of color play it. So, okay. so, so to score, and I don't know how I don't know how whites play dominoes. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Before. So <laughs> we, used, we used to play it on camping trips. Oh, oh, well. So, so every time you 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 have to score in multiples of five. Is that how you guys play? You know what? I don't remember. There was a couple of different games we played one of them was called mexican train whoa <laughs> whoa Just put the problematic siren on all i can say is that's the name of the game that's all i can say <laughs> so well okay so with bones you have to Put the matching mat. You have to do matchy matchy, and the wings, the domino like board, are how you score. But you only score if it's an, a multiple of five. And it's I think I suck at it because I'm really bad at math. But there's yeah, like a ha- there's like houses and there's a boneyard. Like ah, I can't make a play. You got to go to the boneyard. If you uh, get bo- if you get bones, you like slam the domino down and like break the table, like throw it up in the air, and like everybody's like whoa. <laughs> It's like course forties all over you. It's crazy. <laughs> that does not sound familiar. <laughs> okay, that's in my neighborhood. We played dominoes with tea and cookies, and oh, <laughs> there was no okay. screaming. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of all the super white things I could be doing. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Did you guys have watercress sandwiches on these camping trips? Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> oh, I, so I, this is a total tangent. I was in the brothers and sisters program because I, I um, my parents were divorced for uh, quite some time. And um, it was this older white lady who I had nothing in common with, but she would take me to like tea at like these fancy schmancy restaurants where they had like, right, like high, water high tea. Yeah, yeah, high tea. And she was like, isn't this amazing? And I, in my head was like this, fucking sucks and uh <laughs> I, but i would like totally lie and be like oh, i'm away from my like super dysfunctional family yeah it's totally fine <laughs> she was trying to culture you 
Uh, well, then she should have come to my garage that evening where everybody was playing bones. Then we would have cultured her. <laughs> so, so now back to the timeline. Sorry, tangent. So at 1.03 a.m., Tulsa police found two shooting victims about two blocks away from Daenerys, where she, her body was found, on East 51st Place North. This was minutes after Mrs. Fields' body was found, as I mentioned. And they, they were taken to hospitals in critical condition, but expected to survive, police said. At the time of this report, their names were not released, but we know who they are. At 1.50 a.m., paramedics arrive and treat and transport a shooting victim named Bobby Clark at the 300 block of West 63rd Street North, but he was pronounced dead at the hospital. And I couldn't mm-hmm. pronounce, I couldn't, on the uh, other murder victims, the, the other two people who died other than um, Daenerys, I couldn't find information about them. Now, if this was mm-hmm. Beth's case, he probably could have found info on them like in five seconds. But, <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> So David Hall, 51-year-old black man at the time, was one of the black men who was shot, and he ended up surviving. Shortly after midnight, he was on his front porch at his friend Dion Tucker's place. These were the two dudes who survived. A white Chevy pickup pulled up, and these two white dudes asked for directions. And as Tucker stood up to answer, the men in the truck opened fire. Hall heard oh three, yeah, three to four oh. shots, and he fell to the ground. Uh, he thought he was shot in the head. And then he said that at another point during the whole fiasco, he jumped up and then he got hit in the stomach again and he went down. Oh. Hall and Tucker, again, were the only two survivors of the, of the spree. Wow. Remember, the three the three murdered were Denaire Fields, she was 49, Bobby Clark, 54, and William Allen, he was 31. So okay. police said, they were like, we've never seen this much killing in a short period of time. Now, note, this was after the Oklahoma City bombing. So, <laughs> but. And then, and then on top of that, I was like, how can they say that? The Klan has a very known presence in Oklahoma. Like, how, how have they not seen racial killings in, before? They're fucking liars. Anyway, yeah. detectives interviewed people Friday afternoon in the neighborhoods where the shootings happened and believe that a white man driving a white pickup truck may have been involved. Did they know there was two people or were they just looking for one at that point? That's a good question. I don't have an answer for you. They were just looking okay. for a white guy in a, in a pickup. In a pickup truck. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, the FBI was also involved in the investigation. Wow. But I don't know how involved because the articles didn't specify. So anyway. Do, do you so know when, when they got pulled in? I think it was right away. Once, once right the away. black committee, okay. this case made national news. Do you remember uh-huh. it? I you don't. Do? When did this happen? No. When did this happen again? 2012. No, I don't remember this at all. I I guess I vaguely do. And now that I've, I'm like immersed in the case because I've been researching it all for the past couple of weeks, I I guess I do remember news coming reports. Back but it is coming back to me. But uh, part of the information that I got from the case was video of news reports and it was national news. So big deal. Okay. Yeah. So the police arrested the diabolical duel after receiving an anonymous tip at 2 a.m. on Sunday that the two and then the two were apprehended at their home without incident. The police recovered a weapon, but they couldn't tell who fired the shot. And we'll learn later. Well, I'll just tell you now. It's because the dudes were taking turns and they were like trying to like see who could kill the most black people. Oh, my God. And the fifth person they shot, I guess, was the tiebreaker. 
Oh god. Anyway, yeah, disgusting. So so who won? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Who's the biggest asshole? I don't who won know. the biggest asshole award? <laughs> yeah, they're both the actual biggest losers. And they didn't have to lose anyway. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. So England was the younger one. Watts was in his third. Um both men were charged with three counts of first degree murder and two counts of shooting with intent to kill and five counts of malicious intimidation or harassment on account of race, a.k.a. hate crime. The men were arrested. They were taken into custody. Their bond was $9.1 million. They obviously couldn't make it. And uh, the authorities spent their sweet-ass time calling this for what it was, which was a hate crime and domestic terrorism. And meanwhile, on an an episode we're going to record tomorrow about Chris Dorner, the media immediately called that one a domestic terrorist situation yeah yeah did they ever call it a domestic terrorism no they never called it domestic terrorism they They never did never they did call it a hate crime but never domestic terrorism i guess it's better (laughs) than nothing but it's still not what it is Right. Entirely. The killers whose names really aren't important at this point. At first, they pled not guilty, but they ended up accepting accepting um, plea agreements in December, eight months after the killing. And they got life without parole. And the so they didn't have to get, you know, death sentence. The death penalty. Stuff. Yeah. And and actually, uh, the two surviving black guys who were shot were like, we don't want them to get the death penalty. That's who does that help? <laughs> yeah, that's too easy. Yeah, exactly. It also saves saves us money. So. That's true, and and I didn't know, I didn't realize that before getting into this true on the true crime train. I thought that the death penalty would actually save money, even though I know that nope. there's a lot of people who are locked up and shouldn't be. But I assumed by keeping people locking up that it was costing a lot a lot of money for taxpayers, but it's it's the complete opposite. Right. And then also if they accepted a plea, then they there was no trial and that saved money too. Right, right. So I wanted to define hate crimes. Now this is the FBI's definition. A hate crime is a prejudice motivated crime which occurs when a perpetrator targets a victim because of their membership in a certain social group or race. Hmm. And in Oklahoma, they define it as uh, malicious intimidation or harassment on account of race, color, ancestry, or national origin. And each state apparently has their own freaking definition, which hmm. is fucked up Bullshit. to me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they're in prison. This spree affected everybody, the entire community, the families of the decedents, and those who survived after they were shot. Yeah, yeah. Like the dude Hall, he couldn't work for two years. And currently, wow. he's in poor health. Tucker, the other guy who survived, had to have the bullet cut out of his back, but he still lives in the same house where he was shot, which I don't know if I could do. Well, you would if you couldn't afford to move. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, man. Be like, (laughs) yeah, you have no choice. Okay. I guess I'm going to do that. Fine. Okay. That racism discussion has. <laughs> we don't have time to get into it. This is a quick bonus episode. So anyway, so uh, the living survivors, again, I mentioned, have forgiven English. I think in general, Black people are an accepting, loving, and forgiving people. And Andrew T. of the podcast, Yo! Is This Racist? I wanted to say this because I thought this was very profound. And he says this repeatedly. Black people in the United States are just looking for equality and justice. Just imagine if they were seeking revenge. Oh wow! Doesn't that sit, well, isn't that that's a bomb? Yeah, that's a that bomb. Is. 
That is a definite bomb. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, when I heard that, I was like, Ooh, stop the car. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, a family friend of English, her name is Susan Evanstar, and she's trash, and we'll get into why. She was like, if anybody is trying to say that this is a racial situation, they just got things confused. She was like, England, England is Cherokee Indian. I, it, he didn't care what your color was. He wasn't a racist. This wasn't a racist thing. Which to that I say, Miss Evanstar, you are trash. And the mere fact that you are not able to see the deadly oppression that this man was capable of and perpetrated on our five victims of color is a problem and shows yeah. just how racist you yourself might be, ma'am. We said before yeah. on Fruit Loops that you can argue that anyone and everyone is capable of racism and doing racist things. But the ones who get the most benefit are the ones who created the very notion of race, which is white people and white adjacent people, which is what I would call English, even though he has yeah. uh, Native American ancestry. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do? If someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you, would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? (sighs) Download American Vigilante now. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Have you seen pictures pictures of him? Yeah. And he, does he look yeah. like totally white? No, he doesn't. He doesn't look totally oh, white. Oh, he doesn't? No, really? I didn't yeah. I didn't think so. I saw him and I was like, what's what's he got in there? What's going on in that DNA? <laughs> He's a little brown, huh? He's a little bit brown, yeah. But uh, I guess England was very torn up about it. He felt very bad. And he wrote a letter to the victim's families and to the community apologizing for attacking innocent people. And during his sentencing, he made eye contact with the family meeting, family members, and he read them a letter. And he stated in it uh, that he was sorry that these innocent people got caught up in his chaotic, self-destructive downward spiral. Uh, Watts yeah. didn't say a word during sentencing. Wow. Rob Nye was England's attorney, and he said his client had tremendous reports remorse for what happened. He offered an apology to the, again, entire community, and the attorney thought he meant it. And I guess he thinks about this every day of his life, whatever. 
So um, they're locked up. <laughs> and uh, in this case, the justice system did work. So do you, before I get into my takeaways, do you have any or do you want me to go first? You go first. Okay, so here are my takeaways. So the community was like super surprised about this racist act, and I wasn't. And their surprise is extremely surprising to me. Willy Wonka says yeah. there's no, there is no better prize than a surprise. But sir, Tim Harris was the district attorney, and he was also someone who conveyed how he felt shame, surprise, and sadness over the shootings in his community, and he hopes to never see it again. But I was watching his press conference, wondering like. How many times has this white guy used the N-word or any other hateful, ignorant language to anyone who wasn't like him in the past six months to a year? I don't know, but it was a thought that I had. And the attorneys for the perps tried to get the venue changed from Tulsa, which was, I kind of mentioned earlier, as far as Oklahoma goes, a more diverse place. He's somewhere far removed from Tulsa, like... um, Pawnee County is where they try to move it. Now, their attorney didn't say this out loud, but we know why. I have never been to Oklahoma, as I've said numerous times throughout this podcast, but shout out to Crystal, and she is one of the hosts of my favorite podcast, The Read, and it's about Black culture. But she is from Oklahoma, and she talks about how racist the state is in general, but how she grew up in Tulsa, and, and her dad's an attorney, and she was privileged in that she was educated and, and had both parents and wasn't poor and she's she's queer and she had que- queer black friends around her. So my impression is that Tulsa, as far as Oklahoma goes, is, is more diverse than we think, but racism is still very present there. And for me, also, I was disappointed that I couldn't find as much information as I wanted to about the victims when I went to Alicia. And again, Beth could right. probably find Every she could probably find their social security numbers in five seconds, but but I don't know I, about I, that. I think the most surprising thing was that one of the men involved is Native American, and this is Fruit Loops, a, a, a podcast about serial killers of color. And I went went into this not knowing that one of them was part uh, native. Part yeah, so that I, that was interesting. So, what do you think? Yeah, that surprised me, too, in that he didn't look like a white guy, because I I assumed if he was friends with the other guy who was a total racist, Uh that he would look white. Right. So what what do you think was the motivation, Watts' motivation? Did you find anything about that? I didn't find anything about that, but Watts was a friend of English. And Watts is a lily. Like, me and my husband always joke about, like, serial killers, how they have three names. And this guy, right. his middle, his he has a first, middle, and last name, which we we all do, but nobody uses it. And with serial killers, they do. Right. And and when you see the picture next to the three names, you're like, oh yeah, that guy's a serial killer. And when you look at his mugshot, <laughs> his mugshot, his mugshot to me appeared like it wasn't like he was incapable of hating people of color and doing bad things to them. And I shouldn't right. say that out loud, but that was my impression. Hmm. He just looked like a regular white guy who m- maybe did the occasional meth on the weekends, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. I was wondering if he maybe um, resented the fact that he was part Cherokee or something like that. And, oh, and it oh, made Eng- him oh, English, angry. the native guy. 
Oh, oh the native guy. The native oh, guy. you're talking about yeah. the native guy. Oh, okay. So the native yeah. guy was, I thought he was actually kind of handsome, healthy looking. I know he had had a, a rough recent go about things, but I, I really just think it was being angry about his father's life being taken by a black person. I just, it's a horrible, horrible case. I mean, just the idea of these guys just coming through the neighborhoods and shooting people, just, it's kind of like those, the the Phoenix shooters. Oh, yeah. I was so scared. Really? When that was happening. Yeah, because it was so random. Right. And it was at the same time as Goudot, too. So it was like, right. nobody was safe. Yeah. But I wasn't as scared of the baseline killer uh, as I was uh, of the shooters, because mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. It just seems so random. You could be walking down the street and somebody just shoots you. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you're attacked by Goudot, uh, I don't know. It seemed like there were things you could do to make yourself safer, but mm-hmm. it didn't seem like that with the shooters. Mm-hmm. Like you're just sitting on your front porch with your friend, knocking back a couple of beers and these guys come and shoot you. You know, it's just scary. Yeah. 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 I'm just, I'm just minding my beeswax, playing bones, drinking an old English. And this motherfucker comes up asking for directions and then shoots me. Yeah. And, and you get up to tell, to give him directions. Cause you're a nice guy. That's a nice guy. These guys awful. were, yes, yeah. that is a good point. These black people who they hated so much were displaying kindness to them. And they right. still, and they still like, shot them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is a really good observation. Thank you, Beth. Yeah. So, that's <laughs> it for the story. Um, I did my best. And by best, I mean B-plus effort. No, it was good. It was good. Okay, so now we're at the shout-out portion of our show, and I'm going to shout out uh, Black Lady Sketch Show on HBO. Have you heard of it on HBO? I have not. Oh, my God! So, it's on HBO, and it's fucking hilarious. The cast is all Black women um, actors. It's all Black women writers. And it's a sketch show about black ladies lives and, and our experiences and existences it's like snl but like more enjoyable for me because i'm a black right, woman right um and yeah. there are amazing cameos by like angela bassett loretta divine doing drugs. Um, <laughs> david allen greer from snl and all the things um and Issa ray from uh hbo's insecure and my favorite sketch was the one where there was this black lady who was a spy and she was the most successful spy because the world basically, she was just invisible to the world. Everybody ignored her. Everybody ignored her. <laughs> so she got away with everything, assassinations, thefts, stealing, stealing the cheat codes, the nuclear codes. Oh my <laughs> gosh. That's so funny. I was like, oh my God, that's my experience. <laughs> Well, it sounds like I'm going to have to uh, sign up for HBO again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is It is so funny. Now, uh, normally we get into news, but I don't have any because I don't feel like it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's okay. We don't have to do that on bonus episodes. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, I'm going to tell you guys where you can find us. So uh, our website is fruitloopspod.com, our Facebook page is fruitloopspod, and our discussion group is fruitloopspod on Facebook. We're also on Twitter and Instagram on uh, at Fruit Loops Pod, and our links to the sources of this episode will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can give us a donation on the Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean Patreon page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. 
even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website. Mom, please buy a mug at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. This is a bonus podcast and new episodes drop every, I don't know. So until (laughs) next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. detective came and knocked on the door and I said is it Renee and he just gave me that solemn look it was the worst day ever the proof podcast is back with a new case and a new season 23 years ago 18 year old Renee Ramos went missing her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town I don't think that they arrested the right people it's about time somebody's trying to do something she had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? Hello. This is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.